0: Hey, y'all, once again, welcome back to the official Yellowstone podcast presented by Wynn Las Vegas. I'm Jefferson White, your guide on this journey, this journey into the the world of Yellowstone. I'm coming to you again from the podcast studio here at Wynn Las Vegas. Don't worry, they haven't been holding me hostage. I've actually, uh, it's kind of the opposite. I've been camping out here, they've been trying to get rid of me, uh, but I got a sleeping bag and a mini bar. I'm set. I've been here a few times over the last month, and every time I wind up finding a new thing that I love about this place. So one of the incredible gifts of working on Yellowstone, for me, has been getting to learn more about the various cultures and communities that the show represents. I'm new to cattle ranching. As you well know, I'm new to the rodeo world. And I also, I have to say, I've been very, very ignorant and naive when it comes to Native American culture and the issues that face contemporary Native American culture. So I am so, so grateful for our next guests. Today, I am honored to chat with two people that obviously do an incredible job at representing their culture on this show. None other than Chairman Thomas Rainwater, that's Gil Birmingham, and his badass driver slash bodyguard Mo Brings Plenty. I'm gonna step aside for a moment and then we're gonna dive right in. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America
1: and a member FDSE.
0: Okay, amazing. I feel so lucky, so grateful to have with me today Gil Birmingham, who plays Thomas Rainwater. Gil, thank you
2: so, so, so much for taking the time. Oh, it's a a real pleasure to to be able to sit here and and chat with you, Jeff. I haven't seen you for a while.
0: I know. What a gift. That's one of the amazing, one of the the most fun things about this podcast has been the opportunity to sit down between seasons when we haven't seen each other for months. But it sounds like you've been incredibly busy in the interim.
2: I have. I have. I've been, I don't think I've traveled more or socialized more since this whole COVID thing went down. But of course, following all the protocols, but um, it's nice to be back in the grand US of A.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, you... so so folks at home know you from many roles folks at home know you from a a long career of incredible highlights. Will you just take a second, uh, at your own pace, at your own length, just describe everything that brought you up to Yellowstone.
2: Yeah. Um, it's always fascinating for me. Um, I think it, it happened after I I got out of college and I, I got involved in bodybuilding. I think a lot of fans are pretty, pretty familiar with that already, but, um, I got scouted into the gym to um, participate in the music video with Diana Ross, and uh, I loved being on set. And my girlfriend at the time said, "You know, why don't you why don't you uh, start taking classes?" And I did, and um, that's kind of where it started. But um, I don't know that I took it as seriously the craft itself until I started doing uh, projects that were more representational for the Native community, and then I really um, understood the responsibility of it. So yeah, I've been I've been very blessed with a varied career. And um leading up to Yellowstone, there's um, well of course I had encountered Taylor, you know, back in 2017, 2016 with Hell or High Water. And uh, then he brought me in on Wind River. So that relationship started some five years ago, which uh, I feel so so grateful for and, and very blessed by and it's led itself into Yellowstone. Yeah, what, what a gift to work
0: with uh the same director, writer for an extended period of time. I guess it's a rare gift as an actor, you know, you sort of jump from project to project. It's a kind of, it can feel like a sort of freelance mercenary lifestyle, but the opportunity to settle in with a collaborator over time feels like such a a, a rare opportunity. So will you just talk about how you first met Taylor, how you sort of, what, what brought about the, the beginning of the collaboration that has since matured into, into where you find yourself now.
2: Well, it definitely started with hell or high water. And, um, as you were describing, it, it is really kind of a life, uh, the circus lifestyle. Um, and that project had so many interesting elements to it. Um, we had Chris Pine who only had a two week window to film before he went off, I think to wonder, uh, wonder woman, uh, um, And so it came together so fast, I think within the course of like five weeks and we had to get everything lined up and then we shot for five weeks. Um, but, but the project, you know, really highlighted, uh, you know, even beyond Sicario with Taylor. And that's when I became, uh, you know, where I came to understand Taylor and the way he writes. And then I was so, um, so thrilled to to be brought back on Wind river, another incredible project. And, um, yeah, I think most of our collaborations come at a time uh, in filming Yellowstone because we have a little more time, we have more episodes, we have a longer duration, and after four years, uh, I think Taylor is just um, so, so specific about the, the actors that he cast, and uh, he lets them do the work. He does, he does the layout, he does the writing, and he trusts his actors.
0: What I find really interesting about that is that yeah, Taylor has a lot of collaborators that he works with on project after project. And a lot of those, I think you're totally right that he he sees people's energies and he brings in, I think he's amazing at casting. Something interesting about the roles that you've played for Taylor is they're all quite different. They all sort of fill quite different positions in the story. Does that feel true to you?
2: Yeah, you know, I I think I think when you're in the project, when you're doing it, that's all, that's the world you live in. And, um, now that you mentioned it, that's, that's pretty interesting. They are very different. Um, and I think when river scared, scared the hell out of me when Taylor called me up about it and I said, Oh yeah, that's, that's really incredible writing. I like to do Graham, the the police officer, the tribal police officer. And uh, he said, Nope, you're not doing that one. You're doing this one. And I think it was because, um, just the heartbreak of the subject matter and feeling that, that was, that was the weight that I would have to take on. And, and, um, and I wanted to represent it in the best possible way. And, uh, he just had trust and he's, he had more trust in me than I had in me. And, uh, from that point on, I just said, but whatever it is you want, Taylor, you think I can do it, then I can do it.
0: Yeah. I think that's incredible because especially, you know, the, the idea of, of representation. So in, Hell or High Water, you played a police officer. In Wind River, you played a man living on a reservation, sort of struggling from a sort of different part of the socioeconomic spectrum. And then in Yellowstone, you play somebody on the opposite side of the socioeconomic <laughs> spectrum, somebody who has had, you know, the, the benefit of wealth and finds themselves in a position of status and authority. I think that's a fascinating, it really shows a, a whole spectrum of experiences because you talked earlier about feeling a sense of responsibility to tell these stories, to tell, you know, Native, Indigenous stories. And those three different roles represent three completely different experiences. So will you talk a little bit about the sort of breadth of experiences that you've had the opportunity to to, to step into?
2: Wow, that's a really... You you have the good questions here, uh, Jeff. Oh, thanks, Gil. <laughs> that's what I've heard about you, and now I believe it. Um... Gosh, I don't know. Um, you're so intertwined with the character at the time you do it, and then you kind of release it. So to, to reflect back on it, but you're right, and, and it has so much to do with the dynamics of the other actors that you're working with as well. Jeff Bridges was incredible, you know. Um, Jeremy Renner, which is primarily who I, I did my scenes with, and Wind River, um, Kevin Costner. Happy birthday, Kevin, on Yellowstone. <laughs> Um, so they're all iconic performers and to, to bring your own game to it and the context of the representation is, um, I don't know, what would I say about that? I don't know. It's, it just feels like you have to get to the heart, the heart of, of the, the character and the connection that he has to his people. Maybe not so much on hell or high water, but definitely wind river and definitely in Yellowstone. So that's that's a bigger breadth in terms of um, the representation. So, yeah, I, I learn something all the time, and then dealing with subject matter like we did in season two, I think, with the missing and murdered Indigenous women. You know, these are powerful uh, subject matters to to write about and to and to represent. Um, I just this feels like a responsibility. That's I guess that's the key word I would I would say I feel about it.
0: And that's an interesting synergy between you the actor and the character because it certainly feels like Thomas Rainwater is also bound by a sense of responsibility by a sense of duty to his history to his people it really feels like the character also carries a tremendous amount of responsibility on his shoulders do you feel does that makes? does that sort of resonate with your experience of it
2: yeah. And, you know, and it's in the context of contemporary time where these, these corporate forces are coming in and, and John and Rainwater actually have a, a similar, though not identical, respect for the land and a purpose for, for wanting to keep it. It's more of a legacy, uh, something that, that's come down through the family for John, but it's really where the power of my people reside in the connection with the land. So that might be the only difference um but it's a, a crucial difference um, but yeah it's it's um it's pretty daunting sometimes it's
0: yeah and it feels like the character is often i mean i i just i'm always interested where you know, the experience of an actor in real life resonates with the experience of a character in a project. You know, it's like, you can call that a lot of different names. People call it a lot of different things. I'm I'm always just sort of curious about it because I feel like it adds a layer to the performance that like d- deepens, deepens a character. You know, when we look at Rainwater and he's experiencing the weight of responsibility that is deepened and enriched by the fact that you, the actor, are to a certain extent feeling the weight of responsibility that that you're describing. Uh, I'm always just sort of uh, curious about that. And it also feels like, you know, as you just mentioned, Yellowstone, I think in so many interesting ways, kind of complicates these archetypal narratives. You know, in the first season, there's this you know, just direct kind of setup of, and you know, an antagonistic relationship between John Dutton and Rainwater. In the first season, they're going to butt heads. You know, it's a little, that's maybe the most archetypal conflict we see is those two sort of butting heads. And then it very quickly, season after season, starts to get more complicated, to get sort of richer and more personal, to get less kind of mythic, to get less right. sort of, you know, cowboys and Indians clashing, it it very quickly, as you just described, sometimes your purposes align, sometimes you feel a sort of, you know, I, I think over and over again, actually, they found themselves allies against other, you know, external antagonists. So will you talk about, because I, 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 I personally find that the relationship between John Dutton and 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 Rainwater is kind of... The most com- one of the most complicated relationships on the show because it's changed so many times from scene to scene.
2: Yeah, it has, and from season to season, I, I think the way I see Thomas is that um, he understands that he, he's not going to be able to outfight uh, John Dutton, even though um, he has these pending um, forces trying to take the land. But um, culturally speaking, I think uh, I was just reading John Trudell was a, a, a great uh, native poet and it's about thinking clearly and coherently using our intelligence so we i think thomas is approaching it in terms of um outthinking the forces and not to you're not going to have the 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 i guess resources to go up against what uh john dutton has but we can make alliances to fight people who are really wanting to just um, uh, corporalize the the land you know to monetize it um, and neither one of us want that. It's pretty fascinating.
0: Yeah, because especially over time, you know, Rainwater's arsenal of weapons has expanded too. like as, as the character of Moe deepens and you start to sort of learn more about Moe's sense of right and wrong, Moe's sort of specific code of ethics, you know, in the, we very quickly start to understand John Dutton's Thomas Rainwater's early on. And then over time, we start to also see, okay... Moe, in some ways, pulls Rainwater one direction. A character like Angela Blue Thunder in season three has a completely different sort of approach, a different ideology. You know, it, it really represents this kind of full spectrum of tactics and tools for protecting this land, for protecting this sense of history.
2: Yeah, it's, it's quite dramatic. The, and uh, of course, that's all laid out from Taylor's writing. But um, yeah, I I would think of it in terms of strategizing is generally what Thomas is doing.
0: Yeah, he's got these different chess pieces and there's certain problems you solve with, you know, you solve by sending in Mo and Mo's going to grab a guy, black bag him, drag him out to the country, you know, pull him behind a horse, beat the crap out of him. And then it also was, I was so excited in season three, that introduction of Angela Blue Thunder as this kind of, you know, you know, like sort of legal assassin, a kind of Beth Dutton style, like <laughs> sort of courtroom uh warrior. I, I've been so interested in that sort of diversity of tactics over time.
2: Yeah, I, I think um Mo's background, you know, being educated in the Ivy League schools is where he brings this strategy and this this thought of paradigm of understanding how uh the white man's world works and that's what he's gonna use to try to um Reacquire the land, uh, so it makes for a lot of different um, strategies or or thoughts or approaches to how he's going to accomplish those things.
0: Yeah, I find that, and it also just like I think this is also the great gift of duration, right? So, as an actor, it's a tremendous gift to get to do ten episodes of a television show. Here we are, you know, going on. For, we've done forty. One of the gifts of that is that over time, people change, you know, people sort of, people through experiences, through the passage of time, through conflict, you know, like tectonic plates smashing into each other, people change. So will you talk a little bit about how Rainwater's different at the end of season four than he was at the beginning of season one? Maybe he's not, but will you talk about, you know, that, that idea?
2: Well, that's interesting because we've kind of incorporated Casey's healing ceremonies. And uh, I think that's a, a very interesting direction for Taylor to take. And also because it's such an integral part of, of the Dutton family. Um, so we're, we're having an, uh, an individual healing of a member of the family It's very intricate to the, to the, the collective group. And um, I think that could be a real pivotal point for how, um, the expression from, from Casey comes and the way he deals and, and sees things and how he might be influenced by those healings and, and the individual change that he makes that may be going along with the same way that we feel or that Thomas feels that uh, this healing has to come for all of us to have this, this clarity of thinking, to know what to do, to know to do the right thing.
0: That's so interesting because, yeah, it it sometimes feels like Casey and Monica are kind of stuck in between two worlds, you know? And and John Dutton has the way that he, you know, heals with Casey or sort of encourages Casey to learn and grow in certain ways. But you're totally right that this season—and, you know, Rainwater has been very kind to Casey from the beginning, has sort of been Mm. an ally to Casey particularly— because I think you know he sees a sort of whether it's a a friend, a sort of mentee, or whether it's a strategic sort of mm. uh, opportunity. There's things he can say to Casey that he can't say to John Dutton that that will right. make their way into the family and sort of permeate, you know, permeate outwards. That's so interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Like Casey as this kind of shared space between John Dutton and Rainwater. Casey has this kind of common ground almost.
2: That's a fascinating image. Yeah, and and Tate too. Tate's going through the, uh, you know, the boy. Yeah, yeah, that's a really...
0: Because it also, I think there is that that question of generational passage and also generational trauma, generational sort of wounds that that are explored you know and especially in season four as we start to see flashbacks to duttons from the past interacting with you know people who were here long before they were when they first arrived in montana we start to see these kind of generational relationships and you're it's yeah it's fascinating to then project that into the future into casey this younger generation and tate even younger than that, and how these sort of, how conflict changes over time and continues to shift and how these like archetypal forces that clash, how that clash continues to be complicated, you know, because yeah, maybe in the end, capitalism comes along and sweeps off every other player on the board (laughs) to a certain extent, right? You talk about these corporate interests, these billion dollar trust funds or whatever it is coming in. And trying to just excise everything else, that's a sort of fascinating... The nature of the conflict has changed, you know?
2: Yeah, I, I think, you know, in that healing process, too, you're connecting both uh, more authentically, I think, with the land, which is is the heart of the individual, of the human being itself. So uh, the way you see the world and the decisions you make from that point on could could be very drastic.
0: Yeah, and Rainwater and Dutton have that in common, right? They see the land as, they they have a responsibility to the land. They feel a sense of duty to the land. They are stewards. They both see themselves as stewards of this land. And that's, you know, there is definitely compatibility there. And then I think great writing is two people who are, you know, might agree under certain circumstances finding themselves in a kind of mutually exclusive conflict <laughs> or a conflict that starts <laughs> to feel like a zero sum game, you know, they agree about so much. And then there are also points where, you know, unfortunately they both can't, you know, take care of the land in the way that they initially desire to, you know?
2: Well, in the, in the corporate world though, John's not going to be able to hold on to that land very long anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah, and in season four, I think that is like that clock has been ticking since season one, and the fuse is really short in season four. It feels like they're just an inch away <laughs> from the cataclysm of of that loss. And Rainwater is stuck in this position of trying, it feels like, to position himself, to continue to be a protector of the land, even if John Dutton is wiped out. You know, you see Rainwater very smartly positioning himself. To, to be there no matter what happens to the Dutton Ranch, you know?
2: Yeah. And, and interesting through the seasons, it's it was sometimes alliances with some of the corporate interests were trying to come in, you know, on a smaller scale.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, and it's exactly as you said, it's sort of, it it's kind of outsmarting everybody playing your enemies against each other for the sake of you know, this tremendous responsibility, this responsibility to the land, this, a greater responsibility. Because, you know, family is a huge theme throughout Yellowstone. There are so many characters who are defined by their relationship to family. And then I think your character and this whole sort of side of the story complicates that idea of family. Like it sort of asks some questions about what is, you know, what is a family? It, it complicates that, idea beyond the very simple, you know, mother, father, children, because John John Dutton's idea of family is very literal and it feels like Rainwater's idea of family is much more sort of holistic. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And And, spiritual. Yeah. Yeah. and And the land as a kind of part of that family or a sort of responsibility to the land as a part of the land, I think is uh is fascinating. Yeah. Those two different ideas of family sort of colliding into each other. Yeah. Gil, thank you so much for taking the time. It's such a joy. I feel like I've been learning from you as an actor for <laughs> a long time because I mean, I've been a fan of your work for a long time and especially your your collaborations with Taylor since before I met you. I, I, I loved your work in. Uh, so thank you for taking the time to talk to me about this stuff. It's an honor.
2: Wow, well, that's very, that's very sweet of you, Jeff. Thank you. And uh, I wish we had more time on set. We just don't do things together.
0: I, yeah. Fingers crossed. There's got to be a way. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, on our off time, but I don't know. Maybe it's kind of like when I'm working, you aren't. And when I, you're working, I'm not. And...
0: I think that's right. It's these funny little worlds sometimes. It's a little yeah. compartmentalized. Yeah. But hopefully yeah. down
2: the line. All right. Well, it was wonderful talking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. You too, Gil. Talk soon. You take care. Thank you again so much for being
0: here with us today. I'm going to take a breath, and when we come back, we're going to get right back into it. Okay, folks, today we're talking to Moe Brings Plenty, who plays Moe, Rainwater's driver on Yellowstone, since, uh, since the very first episode. Uh, my dear friend Moe, thanks for being here, Moe.
1: It's an honor to be here with you, Jeff.
0: You've been on the show since the very beginning, since episode 101, so we're looking at four years now.
1: Yes, sir, we are. And it's it's quite remarkable that I'm, I'm just, I feel so blessed to be a part of such an amazing cast, uh, a, a, an excellent show, a well-written show. Um, man, I just, it's a dream come true. It really is.
0: I feel exactly the same way, man. Another one of the huge gifts of a show like this is the fact that we've gotten to do it for four years now, <laughs> means we get to know each other. We get to know the people working on the show. We get to know the crew working on the show. So you and I have known each other now for four years, but we'll, uh, we'll talk through some of this stuff uh, like it's for the first time, <laughs> just for the sake of everybody who hasn't had the honor of knowing you for four years. So will you talk for a second just about your background, sort of how you grew up, how you came to be on Yellowstone? Will you just talk about that a little bit?
1: Um. I grew up, I was born and raised on a Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota. Uh, I'm tribally enrolled on the Cheyenne River Reservation, which is also another band or a subgroup of the Great Lakota Nation. My father is Oglala from Pine Ridge and my mother, she's Mini from the Cheyenne River Reservation. We're still Lakota. And so um, I grew up going to school, uh, rode horses a lot. Uh, my dream when i was a kid was to be i had several dreams one of them was to be a world champion bull rider um that didn't last long uh, the second was to be a an olympic runner i wanted to be another billy mills um but of course got into riding bulls so knees didn't hold up for running but i also wanted to be a math teacher which is kind of crazy but i love math um and of course uh Fighter pilot for the Marine Corps, which none of those never worked out. But you know, I I kind of live life in the moment, and um, my grandfather always told me, he said, when you wake up in the morning, don't expect anything. You should you should just be. If you if you live your life with expectations, then you're gonna lose your understanding of how to be grateful for the very first gift you've been given and that is life itself and so I live in a moment and in doing so it guided me along the way I just went with it you know it's like riding a horse with no reins you just hang on and go for the ride and enjoy it you know and and I ended up being on Yellowstone and I and I'm not sure how how it all worked out for me to continue to, to, to be a reoccurring character and how the character is now evolving. But I, I'm just thankful that it did work out the way it has. It's such an incredible gift. That The sort of curiosity that you're
0: describing, the ability to sort of stay in the moment, no matter what that moment brings you, has also taught you so many skills. You are such an expert horseman. Will you talk about that a little bit, your background with horses, how you started riding, how that manifests in your life now and the work you do on your ranch? Because you also live on a 10,000 acre ranch. Will you talk about that a little
1: bit? Well, the horse thing, how it evolved was I didn't want to have to walk so far because our closest neighbor was a mile and a half away and um and i definitely didn't want to ride my bike on dirt roads because to ride a bike on a dirt road the dirt is probably the dust was probably about three four inches thick and so it's like riding through mud all the time and so i i decided to start riding horses and at a very young age of course my father uh was was instrumental in that my uncles um one of my uncles who was like a father to me he was honestly one of the most famous uh native saddle bronc riders in in the nation and he's made it to the national final several times and he was he was a huge inspiration in my life that guy was like he was totally like a horse whisperer i remember one time my cousin and i came home from school and there was a horse tied up in the round pin and so we flipped a coin to see who had to get on this horse first. And he had one leg tied up. And he said, she's pretty salty. And of course, I lost. And so I got on. Horse dumped me in probably three jumps. Lucky there was no duct tape around. <laughs> and, and the second guy, or my, my cousin, he got on. And he came off. And my uncle, he was pretty upset that we both got bucked off with the, on a three-legged horse. And so he dropped the leg down, took the rope off. And he jumped on that horse and he said, all right, open up the gate. And he took that horse out and he was gone for hours and he came back and said, she's good to go. And so I'll never forget that moment when the sun was already down, there was a little bit of light left and here he'd come riding back. And that horse looked like that horse, I mean, it just looked like it's been ridden for years. And and so just the connection that he had with horses it, it made me think more and more about our culture and what, what type of um, instrument or what role the horses played within our culture because our culture, we didn't, we didn't create, we didn't self-create our cultural identity. There were many aspects of nature that gave us a part of themselves, that gave us our identity and horses played a role in that. And we've always had horses in the country long before the Spanish brought theirs and and so to revitalize and reconnect with the old way of of the relationships that that the horse had with our ancestors was, was was so important to me you know in fact we have a we have a direct descendant a horse that is a direct descendant from Sitting Bull's original herd of horses they they are called nakota horses today and so Um, The moment that I wrote him, I wept, I'm not going to lie. I shed tears, I wept because I felt for the first time in my life, I felt like there was a huge void that was now finally filled up, you know, and it made me realize that his ancestors carried my ancestors and we were torn apart and now here we are back together.
0: That's beautiful. That's an incredible image. And you talk about, it's kind of two different types of heritage, right? There's big picture heritage. There's generations and generations of culture that you've learned and you're an expert in. And then you also talk about, you know, your father, your uncles, people, individuals who pass those lessons on to you. So on the show, you know, how does that play into your character and Mo's role on the show you know, Mo's role as one of Rainwater's sort of advisors and trusted officials. How, how do you carry that tradition and that heritage onto the show?
1: Well, it's, it's um, honestly just every bit of my own experiences in life, you know, to, to try to maintain. Because we are, the relationship that Rainwater and Mo has on the show is, is very much uh, many relationships that we have in real life. There's a lot of people that were removed from the reservations during the during the relocation program. And, and whether it's the individuals themselves or their children or their grandchildren that are now trying to find their way back home and understand uh, the 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 struggles that they go through or the questions, the many questions that they have, we want to be always, we always want to be available for them to be there to assist them and, and show them, not guide them, but show them the direction of, of where they're going to find their answers, you know? And so I bring that element of real life experiences onto the show. And I imply it to that particular character. And, and like I said, to help build that relationship between rainwater and mold, you know, to always be there, to have loyalty and, and also that compassion, um, that we all must have for, especially for our relatives who've been removed.
0: I think it's such an amazing, that that's sort of what you're talking about is carrying your own personal experience, and also this this tradition and this heritage that you carry with you onto the show, and I feel like truly from the first frame of the show that you appeared in, Mo had such complexity and so much depth and history, and the, the the sort of presence that you carry with you, even when you're not speaking in a scene, even when you're sort of a kind of silent counselor, the looks that Rainwater gives to you and sort of how, how much you say without saying anything is such an incredible gift. I also think it's amazing. You've learned so much. You're such an expert in your own culture and your own heritage, but you're also such an incredible learner, you and I, we spent some time together cutting, you know, doing cutting, which was something that was relatively new to you, right? Like how much cutting have you done in your life? Not much. Not much. (laughs) And what's amazing to me is that you can at both, you can at the same time be such an expert, have done this to carry so much wisdom and knowledge with you and also be so open to new experiences, be so open to learning new things so is there anything on Yellowstone that the process of working on Yellowstone has taught you or anything that you're particularly interested in diving deeper into that you've learned about over the course of the show?
1: You know, there's, there's many aspects to the show that has intrigued me. And um, I would say I, I love watching the crew. Every, every department within the crew is so important and you see all these moving parts, how they're able to function. It's like watching a herd of buffalo move. And and every single one of them are important. And I look at the camera work and how they set up shots. And I look at just not what Taylor has written, but what he also has visualized and through a little screen. And how, how he's able to allow us and give us the room and the, the space to to bring to life what he has put down, laid down on a piece of paper. And so I'm I would love to be able to just sit for a whole season behind him and watch how every single one of them that direct, you know, whether it's Stephen Kay, I mean all of them, and, and just watch that. That's so amazing to be able to capture a spirit into a lens through great camera work and to be able to direct and not even just, I mean, I just love it. every aspect of it. It's so amazing to me. And it just intrigued, all of it's intriguing. And I'm always open to learning. Um, you can never, you can never allow yourself to think that you're a professional at anything for me. And, and so I'm, I, I see myself as like this sponge that I'm just always hungry for knowledge. And it don't matter. It's not just about my people's tradition, but I'm, I, I hunger for the knowledge of the society as well. So I, I would know how to be able to coexist in a compassionate and a loving way, in a respectful way. And respectful to my culture, respectful to society, to all people. Um, and so to when I'm on a set, I see how everything moves. And we're all in this together at the end of the day. We all play an important role, and so I've just I love I love being there. I love watching everyone work. I love how you work. I mean, in fact, we were just talking the other day, and Sarah Ann, they found a calf that was it was pouring rain, it was cold, and and they found this calf, and she remembered that scene where you went back and you was you was saving this calf, <laughs> and so. We we had a good nice little laugh about that, you know. Jimmy saved the calf. <laughs> oh
0: man, yeah. Except you guys did it for real, and uh, a team a team of experts propped me up on a horse. <laughs> that was one of the funniest days, Mo, because that was the only time I've ever seen the stunt team nervous. The only time I've <laughs> ever seen those guys nervous was when they had to let go of the calf and walk away from me very slowly. <laughs> I was looking at them like, guys. I if you're worried, I'm worried. Well, one of the things. Oh man, I I could. I'm so. It's funny because you that quality you describe of of being a sponge, you know, of being open to learning and sort of observing and picking up things from. There's so much on films on a film set that's about trust, that's about trusting everyone else to do their job sort of putting faith in everyone else and sort of being able to then focus on your own responsibilities without trying to micromanage everybody else. And you're somebody who I have learned so much from in so many ways, often just from watching you, because I I learned how to ride for Yellowstone. You know, I had never touched a horse in my life before season one of Yellowstone. And you're somebody who, from the very beginning, sort of watching you ride has taught me so many little things, kind of unspoken things, you know, because you're such an expert in both the kind of spoken understanding of this stuff, but also just the little things. Like watching you ride has been such a sort of masterclass class in um, the, the unspoken rules and tricks to riding, which is relaxing, going with the flow, even the way you describe living your life, you know, going with the flow and living in the moment. When I first started writing, I was so tense. I was trying to do things right. I was so sort of caught up in where my hands were supposed to go and like doing it exactly the right way. And I've been learning from you for four years now how to chill out, <laughs> how to relax a little bit, have fun, how to sort of stay in the moment and have fun. Because you sort of, you also have such a sort of breadth of knowledge on so many different subjects. I think a lot of what people respond to with Yellowstone is the feeling of authenticity. You know, this this feeling that it's a world that is really lived in. And you're somebody who brings so much natural, easy authenticity to the show, but across so many different fields because you also have experience in rodeo. So will you talk a little bit about your, your history, bull riding, bronc riding?
1: Yeah, I... Like I said, I, I wanted to... One of my uncles, he my dad's brother older brother he used to ride saddle wrong courses and of course he lost his life um while competing horse came over backwards on him and um and there's no one else in our family that that wanted to take that next step in that realm and i th- i think i was just crazy enough to be the one to say you know what, i'll do it and um and so i ride i rode bareback horses and, and I tried saddle rump, but I was horrible because of my thought process of everything. I was so scared and nervous of it um, and I rode bulls and and then eventually I got scared of the bareback horses as well and I just decided to stick right with riding bulls they weren't as scary for me. Um, but outside of that, yeah you can get a horse we can get if we can get a saddle on it, I'll get on it. I didn't care. When I was younger, when I was a kid, if we did get a rope on that, get a halter on a horse, i will jump on that horse bareback. I didn't care. But when it came to rodeos, because those horses are bred differently and they know their job, where a ranch horse or, or a horse on the reservation, it, it, it's different, you know? And so some of them bucked pretty good and some of them bucked extremely hard and some of them really didn't buck at all. And so I was just crazy. I was just crazy enough to, to do whatever. I even rode a Buffalo once. Oh and um, I, I couldn't believe I did it myself after it. But before that, my cousins, they said, oh, you're too scared to do it. And I was like, no, let's do it then. And so I jumped on and I held on. I had a death grip. I think my toenails grew real fast too. And I latched <laughs> on to my toenails like a cat. And the the Buffalo stopped and it starts shaking. And I start shaking because I didn't know how I was going to get off because I know they're super fast. But I jumped off anyway and I took off running and it just stood there and watched me. And I was like, thank you for not chasing me. Um, So I could say I rode a Buffalo once. Um, But I, I wouldn't really, honestly, Jefferson, I wouldn't really consider myself an expert at many things just for the fact that what I've learned... It came from people who were honestly out of this world for me. Um, even like Cole Palmerman, who's one of the Wranglers. I, he's a good friend of mine. I consider him a brother, and and I watch that guy ride too. And and I'm like you. I watch everyone ride, and I'm and I'm still learning things too. I'm always a student. I always want to be a student. Um, the day I stopped being a student is the day that life's done and over with, I'm sure. But I don't ever want to see that yet. So I'm always going to remain being a student. So for me, I just, I pick up, I pick up things by being a sponge. I'm able to pick up things and I'll try something. Some things work and some things don't. Uh, There was some things that my uncle did that were absolutely amazing. And I tried it. It didn't work for me. And there were some things that he did do that did work for me. And I, and I held on to those things. And so, there's one thing that my grandfather he did teach me. He said that when you work with a horse, never never see what you can make that horse do. Your whole, your whole day should be spent on seeing what you can both accomplish together. And, and so I try to carry that mentality with everything that I, but that I do. you know I, I want to see what we can accomplish together.
0: think we're I think we're coming to the end of our time here is there anything else you'd like to say anybody else you'd like to shout out
1: man just you know it's always good to see you it's good to always see you. you guys are family members I mean really you know we're just one big family and I'm looking forward to getting back at it um I'm totally excited for this new season to come out um I know all my neighbors are pretty amped up for November 7th and uh but Anyway, it's just man, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for including me and and taking the time to allow me to be a part of, you know, your new adventure. And I'm good luck to you. I, I know it's not you don't need it because you you're so talented, Jimmy.
0: Thanks, Mo. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Yeah. And we've got a lot of adventures ahead of us. I'm really excited.
1: You bet. And and I always struggle with that too, Jefferson. I was like, Jimmy, I mean Jefferson, <laughs> no one has a problem with me because I'm Mo. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. That makes it easy. That makes it easy.
1: And so, man, keep up the great work. You're, you are. It's good. You're sharing your talent with the world. It's You got a great gift there. Thanks, brother. Take and care of the ranch. Continue it on. And
0: I'll see you really soon, okay?
1: Yeah, sounds good, brother. We'll be in touch. Cheers, man. Take care.
0: Bye now. Thank you all so much for tuning in. I obviously would not be able to do this without you. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be in this big, beautiful podcast studio in the Wind, Las Vegas. So thank you so much for tuning in. It really, it means the world to me. We drop new episodes every Thursday. So make sure to subscribe and tune in to the official Yellowstone podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. The official Yellowstone podcast is hosted by me, Jefferson White, and produced by 101 Podcast Studios and Paramount Network.